Amen. Let's turn to our confessional reading for this evening. Page 222. Page 222 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book. Lord's Day 21. Question answers 54, 55, and 56. And I'll read the questions. Let's together say the answers. Starting there on page 222 with question 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into judgment. It's the confession we hold in common. Let's turn to the very word of God, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll see especially how this relates to question and answer 54. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll read the first 12 verses. There are um, there are many things to say on verses 10 to 12 about the authority of God's word and uh, there is um, and and some other truths going on there we, we might say that uh, we're we're just picking part of of that Portion, but we'll read all the way to verse 12. Let us hear the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So far the reading, the grass withers, flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is this earth, this world of sin and sorrow, this veil of tears? Is this my home? Is this where I belong? This is not your home. We are believers who are only strangers in this world, elect exiles, pilgrims who belong to God. And so when Peter writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion, he's using Old Testament language, the language of exile, the language of dispersion, which is used consistently in the Greek Old Testament, uh, this Greek word for, for the for the dispersing of, of the Jews after the Babylonian destruction. But while these are Old Testament terms, this is not only for Old Testament people. This letter is written to a broad audience, to the, to the northern region of the Roman Empire. And while there may be some Jews among these believers, Acts chapter 2 tells us that there were some some Jews from this region in Jerusalem during the day of Pentecost. We have indications within this letter that, uh, that at least some and probably most of the hearers are, are Gentiles, 
are new converts into the Christian faith with no Jewish background. And so, for example, in chapter 1, verse 18, Peter speaks about knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. We see, we see a sentence that would not be written to Jewish, primarily Jewish believers. This is a letter for God's community of New Testament believers from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Wisconsin. This is Old Testament language, but it is not just for Old Testament believers. All of God's people are elect exiles, strangers, pilgrims, people living in a land which is not our home. And so that's our theme tonight. God's elect have a temporary earthly calling. We first look at heavenly salvation and then that very phrase, elect exiles in verses 1 and 2. And then at genuine salvation, uh, verses 3 to 9. And then we'll briefly look at prophesied salvation in a couple of ways that that, that ties to, to this theme. And so we, uh, we begin with this. Heavenly salvation. We are people of this earth. We are born on this earth. We do live on this earth. And by nature we are earthly. We share in the guilt of original sin, the sin of our first father Adam, which threw this earth into all of that sin and chaos. But... This earth is not going to hold God's elect. It is true that we have no right to enter heaven on our own. If God does not save us, then this sin-cursed earth is the best that we have. This world of sin for people of sin, this world of sin for which The unbelievers can speak about things such as the fleeting pleasures of sin, as the author of Hebrews calls it. But even then, there is no lasting joy. There's no lasting pleasure. There's no living hope. But God takes us, earthly people of this dying earth, and he saves us for heaven by heavenly salvation. Salvation which is of the one of heaven, the God of heaven, the one whose power can conquer the death hold of this earth. And so all of this is 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 part of the the language surrounding that that description of God's people as elect exiles. Peter uh, speaks of the triune work of salvation and speaks of God the Father, that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. It is a salvation of heavenly power which breaks the earthly sin and earthly death grip which is on all people apart from God. For knowledge, of course, stands for one of those 
one of those errors of the world by which there is the thought that, well, if it's foreknowledge, then it's God just looking forward to see who he would save. No, the parallel text is Ephesians 1. And there we have that language of God's foreknowledge, God's election, God's choosing. And it says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that's the kind of foreknowledge. It's a, it's a foreknowledge that goes back before the foundations of the world. But it's not that he saw something in us. No, it continues uh, in the middle of verse 4. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Surely he gathers and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. This is the word for all of God's people. This is the word for all of us from the northern provinces of the Roman Empire down through this day. We live on a broken and breaking earth, but we have an unbreakable salvation rooted in God's heavenly power. And so the apostle can say, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Multiplied peace. It's not just peace for one kind of situation. It's peace for all kinds of situations. It's peace for all kinds of pains, for all kinds of uncertainties. It's peace for any seasons of blessing so that we would not fall into a loving of this world itself. 1 John 2 verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Brothers and sisters, we need that heavenly salvation to show us the brokenness of this earth if we love this earth too much. We need that heavenly salvation to hold us through the brokenness of this earth, which is so often so plainly felt. So do not allow the pains and the uncertainties to swallow you. God's elect have a home which is much better than this world. Do not love the blessings of this world as though that is your final purpose. God's elect eagerly await a home which is much better than this world. And then uh, we come to our uh, second point, which relates especially to that, that testing, to the trials in the brokenness that God's people may experience. We are distinguished from the people of this earth. We are set apart by the power of God. We have genuine salvation. It survives the test. And so salvation, see this in our text, brothers and sisters, it can be spoken of in terms of the past, the present, and the future. 
This is, and this is helpful for us as we think about the language from question answer 56 that you know, we have this sinful nature which I need to struggle against all of our life. This is helpful for us as we think of this broken earth and what it is. God's salvation is spoken of in terms, in different places with, with a different focus. God's salvation is spoken of in terms of past, in terms of present, and in terms of future. There is, uh, there is the past moment of regeneration. There is that election of God. There is that choosing. There is that regeneration to which it's so closely tied. There's the present and ongoing work. There's the sanctification of the Spirit. But there's also, uh, there's also a salvation which is to come. There's so much that is to come. There's so much that we don't yet have that see in the language of our text, especially in in verses 4 and 5, but also in verse 9, that salvation can be spoken of as something that we don't yet have. In this sense, there is, we are being guarded, verse 5, for a salvation ready to be revealed. God's word talks about how we are saved. God's word talks about how we are being saved. But there is so much yet to come that that word salvation is sometimes used in the word of God to speak of something which is is future, which we don't yet have. We're guarded for it. We will be brought to it. Remember, our salvation is unbreakable. It is of heavenly power. But there is so much yet to come that the word of God can speak of salvation in a purely future sense. We will be guarded for it. We will be brought to it. We will, by faith, obtain it because God's elect are preserved. But the very fact that salvation is spoken of as something which is yet to come is a reminder of the temporary nature of this place and that even with God's sanctifying work in us even as those who are saved and being saved we have so much yet to come that we can speak of salvation in that future sense God surely gathers protects and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life Of this community I am and always will be a member. And that always being, that future blessing, is a salvation I don't yet have in in that the full blessings are not yet revealed, they are ready to be revealed. We see the language at the end of verse 5. And so with, with that language of future salvation in verse 5 and verse 9, we have the verses in between describing what we go through as we await the future salvation. And so in between we have that language in 6 and 7 of, of being tested. Now, for a little while, this is the temporary place This is the place where we don't yet have the full blessing of salvations. Indeed, we have trials. We have a testing. We are tested by fire. 
And brothers and sisters, let's think about that illustration in verse 7, tested by fire. Now, in some ways, we might wish that it was a different illustration because it includes fire. But let's think about this illustration and how it is different than the illustrations in the Word of God for the forgiveness of our sins. When God's Word speaks about the forgiveness of sins, we have illustrations like this. Micah 7:19, the prophet says that God forgives our sins like they're cast into the depths of the sea. What's that an illustration of? It's an illustration of something that that doesn't end. You search for the bottom of the sea and to know the depths of the ocean and you're never going to discover it. Even with all of our technology in 2023, we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about the depths of the sea. Or how about the illustration from the psalmist in Psalm 103? He forgives your sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. And you take a picture of someone looking from the east to the west and trying to find that. And it's, it's, of course, it's a picture of something that does not end. It's a picture of something so far away. God removes our sins. They cannot be found. They're totally gone. Now contrast the picture of searching for the east from the west. Contrast the picture of searching for the depths of the ocean. And now look at the picture of our life on this earth. It's like tested by fire. It's a process. It has a definite end. The smith knows when the gold is purified and when it's time to come out of the fire. It's not some unending search on the ocean floor. It's something that has a definite end point. It's a process. As I said, it might not be the illustration we want in every sense because it includes the word fire because this is yet a broken earth. And it's not always easy, but it's a process. God knows what he's doing as he purifies us, as he holds us, and there is an end point. It does not go on forever like the search for our sins, which will go on forever, and they will never be found because when we trust in Jesus Christ, they are removed and they are gone. Praise the Lord for the pictures he has given to us. We know what we have to go through. And we know that it will end. All of the uncertainties, all the pains, all the trials of all different types, they are a fire, but it's a process with an end point. And then it's done. After a little while, It will be done. We will be brought to heaven. 
see now we're brought to the very presence of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, and Peter's writing to, to believers in the far northern reaches of the empire. The ministry of Jesus Christ was Galilee and Judea. It did not, it did not reach into those regions. These people lived at the same time as Jesus Christ, but they never saw Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, why the word now? Because this is our temporary home. Time's coming when we will see Him. When we're in the place that's really our home. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. So even though I have not yet obtained the final salvation, even though the fire's not yet done, even though I'm just an exile, a pilgrim, a stranger, I already have a joy that I cannot express. And that is salvation that God gives to us. It is beyond what we can say. And that's all part of what's sandwiched by verse 5 and verse 9 and the language of salvation in this future sense. We are waiting. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we will be preserved by God's unbreakable salvation. We will be brought from this broken earth and to the glories of heaven. Now, now let's come to uh, verses 10 to 12. We'll just briefly look at these verses and make a few points. This was a prophesied salvation. Concerning this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. You know, there is, there is a temptation to want to jump through the fire and just have the final outcome. And uh, that temptation made it difficult for the prophets to understand what they were writing. Because it, it made them and the Old Testament people, and, and we know this from the response of the Jews and even of Jesus' disciples who believed in him, there was this temptation just to think about the glories and to skip over the sufferings. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. So here is Jesus after his death and burial and resurrection. And, of course, he spoke to his disciples about his sufferings before they happened. It was even his disciples, even those who believed and listened to his teaching, it was hard to understand that suffering came before glory. And so Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read from verse 44. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 44. 
And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which is really just the, that can stand as a threefold division for all of the Old Testament, everything written about me in all of the Old Testament must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. They needed to understand that the suffering had already been there. It's just the Jews wanted to read over that part. Because there's a temptation to want to just get through all the suffering and be done with it. It is temporary. It will end. But there is suffering. And on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That is the summary of what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and uh, to 12. The Old Testament scriptures uh, spoke about sufferings. They spoke about uh, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The end of verse 11. The Old Testament scriptures are our scriptures. There are they should have had an understanding from the Old Testament that this suffering would take place. But even if, even in the measures of understanding they had of that, it could not be the understanding that we can have now with the full revelation of God. The Old Testament scriptures were written for us. It is plainly revealed here in these two verses. Now it was also written for the Old Testament believers. And we might say this, that there are some texts in the Old Testament that are not easy for us to understand on first reading. And they would have been easier for the first hearers living in that time and that day and that setting to hear and understand. But there are parts of the Old Testament that are easier for us to understand, especially those texts which speak clearly about the sufferings and the glories of Jesus Christ. We could take one little more obscure example and one more well-known example. How, how, How could the first hearers have really understood who the prince in the temple vision of Ezekiel 40 to 48 was? How they they could not have a full understanding of that prince. Or what about a more common example? The suffering servant revealed in Isaiah 53 and the surrounding chapters. They, they could search into it. They could grasp it at some level. They could hold on to Christ by faith, even not knowing his name. And Hebrews chapter 11 makes that very plain, that that is how the Old Testament saints are saved. But we can understand that chapter much more easily than they. The Old Testament scriptures were written for all of God's people, including you. There were Old Testament chapters that are easier for New Testament believers to understand than for the Old Testament believers to understand. 
An implication in all of this is the unity of the people of God. It's the same Spirit who gave the Word of God, Old and New Testament, to all of God's people, Old and New Testament. And something which is hinted at in our catechism in question and answer 54 as well. I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, the beginning of the world, Old Testament saints to its end. This is the work of God. He has always been saving by His electing purpose. His people for heaven out of this broken earth. And so, people of God, we take the language of election tonight. We take the language of God's judgment this morning and we take uh, we take these words that sadly many people, even professing Christians would, would not want to hear or focus upon and, and we see uh, the beauty of these truths, these biblical words and we see the beauty of God's promise to preserve his elect through the fire into heaven, into the very presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our saving God, We praise you for your electing purpose.